good afternoon. You're listening to Let the Bible Speak. Let the Bible Speak is the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church. Stephen Pollock is the pastor of the Free Presbyterian Church of Malvern, Pennsylvania. Thank you for joining us today as he opens the Word of God and lets the Bible speak. Well, please turn in your copies of the Word of God uh, to James chapter 1. Uh, we're in the New Testament this morning, James chapter 1. We're going to read from the verse number 17 of James chapter 1, although our attention is really going to fall upon the latter verses. But James chapter 1 and the verse number 17, and let's all hear the word of God. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Of his own will begat he us with the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed." If any man among you seem to be religious, and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. Pure religion, and undefiled before God and the Father, is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction, and to keep himself unspotted from the world. Amen. We look to God again to bless his word uh, to your hearts this morning. Religion as a word and a term is under a degree of disrepute. And I mean disrepute in the true church of Jesus Christ. For many, they view religion as being opposed to relationship. If we're accused of being religious, we might say, no, I'm, I'm not religious, I'm a, I'm a follower of Christ. Religion in many ideas, or many people's ideas, is something that is dry and formal and external. And thus, as we behold religion, we would, we would take ourselves out of that category because we understand the blessing of a living relationship with the one true and living God. Because faith is vibrant. Faith comes from the heart and faith rejoices in communion with God. And religion seems opposed to that relationship. For others, religion seems to speak of false religions. Hinduism, Buddhism, you can name them all. And so if you say you're religious, you might fear that you'll put yourself alongside others who are idolatrous. And you might put yourself in the minds of some people uh, just simply as a religious person in the midst of all religions. And therefore we are careful to say we are religious in case that is misunderstood. And that we see ourselves as being just another type of religion in the context of the confusion of this world. 
For others still, religion is to be churchy. That's perhaps uh, very true in the old traditional life in, uh, in the United Kingdom. Or you had the, the High Church of England or the Roman Catholic Church. And there were those who were religious. They liked the ceremonies. They liked all the pomp and circumstance. They liked the robes. They liked all the stained glass windows. And that was religion for, for many. And some of that, of course, has come across here also. But much of this thinking is here addressed in James chapter 1. The world, the word religion used in verse number 27 and the similar term used in verse number 26 is not the word that is elsewhere used for the practice of religious, pious devotion. It's not describing the exercise of our worship. The words used twice in other parts of the New Testament in a negative connotation. It's used regarding the religion of Judaism that Paul practiced, Acts 26 verse 5, where he says, After the most straightest sect of our religion, I lived a Pharisee. He's describing the organization of religion uh, at that time under the, well, the term, we might use the term of Judaism. It's also used in Colossians chapter 2 and the verse 18 regarding the worshipping of angels. And actually the word there doesn't denote so much the, the, the exercise of worship as it does our religious grouping. Angel worshippers. So if you like, you could, you could go down the, the, the street in the town and you would, you would see various signs outside the church buildings. And there would be one, the company of angel worshippers. And so the word, it denotes the organization of religion. The community of religion. That's the, that's the sense of the term. And yet here in James, it's not a negative term. He describes in verse number 27, pure religion and undefiled. And thus for, for James, the term itself is not necessarily negative. can have that connotation, but not necessarily you see, the church of Jesus Christ, it is an organized community, an organized band. Christ in his mercy, through the Spirit of God, saves souls. And they are not left in isolation. They are in turn gathered into church communities. That was the meaning of the Great Commission. Go, make disciples, teach them. But between discipling and teaching, there is the matter of baptism. Denoting the gathering together of people into the covenant community. And so the church is indeed a religious community. We gather as a church. We're doing that this morning. Uh, this very table which is before us now is a mark of our covenant community gathering. We come together in the language of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And so we are religious. Without embarrassment, we are a religious people. We do practice ceremonies. This is an organized ceremony of the church of Christ. The truth of our religion is perhaps most clearly seen when we meet around the Lord's table. But that is where the issue is challenging and clear to our souls again today because in James's words it is possible to be religious and that religion to be vain and false. He used the word vain in verse number 26. This man's religion is vain. 
And the word speaks of something that is of no benefit. It produces no fruit. It is unprofitable to be and exercise this religion that James has in mind. It's also implied in verse 27 that religious religion can be false. It can be impure and it can be defiled. If James says this is pure religion and undefiled, then clearly the implication is that religion can be impure and can be defiled in the sight of God. It can be unholy and unacceptable in the presence of God. And much, much of the world's ire towards religion is towards false hypocritical religion and we should take that on board and think it through very carefully and so we acknowledge that we are indeed religious we acknowledge that term is not necessarily a bad term but we must reckon with the fact that our religion must be real it must have signs of truth and purity and being undefiled and James James highlights three Three of the signs of a religion that is true. We meet together today around the table and it might be a good time. It's always a good time to assess whether or not our religion is real. We are here as a religious group. We are here to meet together in this organized fashion. This is an expression of religion. If people were to look in. If they were drive past now and looking through the windows, they would say, there's a religious company. But they cannot look into your hearts. And they cannot examine whether our religion is vain, impure, and defiled or not. And so when the Lord, through the Apostle Paul, would instruct us regarding our, our practice at the table, we are told to every man to examine himself. And so where is your religion in the sight of God today? Well, what are these three signs? Well, the first one is there is self-control of our words. Verse 26, if any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. James highlighting the issue of hypocrisy. It is an hypocrisy of self-deception. That in itself is a sobering reality. Not only can we deceive others in a religion, we can deceive ourselves. The heart is deceitful. And so there is there's a danger of even self-deception here. James has the same idea in verse number 16. He actually uses the same word. Do not err, my beloved brethren. And the idea is, do not deceive yourselves. And the same is also in verse number 22. If you're only a here only, then you deceive your own selves. And in that general category of self-deception, James highlights the issue of our words. And so the man might appear or seem to be religious, but if his tongue is not bridled, then he's a self-deceiver. And so the picture is very clear. Here is a man that professes religion. Can I also say to you that it's a man among you, a man in the church, a man that would walk down the aisle and all would say, there is a man who is truly religious. But it is a pretense and an appearance even to himself. And the revelation of that pretense is in a lack of self-control regarding his tongue. The word bridleth is a term that speaks of a control of a horse. 
And the bridle is put, uh, the bit is put into the mouth of the horse, um, whereby the horse is controlled in the, in the movements and the direction. The idea is that a man who is truly religious has, by the grace of God, the ability to control his tongue. And if there's a lack of control, then there is a danger. There is the real danger of self-deception in the practice of religion. You see, true religion, it does involve words. Actually, you, you cannot be truly religious without religion being expressed in some form outwardly. It may be written, it may be spoken, depending on perhaps some uh, measure of unusual disability. But whatever it is, the ordinary picture of things is that in religion there are words being used. There is a public profession. Jesus Christ is Lord. That was to be stated. You know, Romans chapter 10. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. That's a mark of salvation. There is a public profession of faith in Christ. True religion is also involves words in the practice of worship externally. We pray with our words. We sing with our words. These are things we do in the worship of God. Yet sadly, there are many who are religious in public worship, but their tongues are uncontrolled and misused. They sing on the Lord's Day and they swear every other day of the week. They speak grace at some times, but gossip at other times. At times their words, they may be holy. Other times they are harsh and harmful. See, James highlights this uh, later on, of course, in this epistle. Look over at James chapter 3. James chapter 3 in the verse number, the verse number 9, where it says, Therewith bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men, which are made after the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceeded blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not so to be. So James highlights the importance of the tongue. And he does so, he does so, I believe, because true religion is a work of grace in our hearts. The natural man is completely incapable of properly controlling the tongue. That's what James says in chapter 3, verse 8. But the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. We've got to be careful here. Because I've heard that text being used at times to excuse Christians sinning in the realm of the tongue. And they say to themselves, no man can control the tongue. Is that what James says? Is that, is that the point of James' words? So therefore, it's not expected that I've gossiped last week or I've, I've backbited or been spiteful in my words. James says, no man can control the tongue. You need to be very careful how you read James chapter 3. Because verse 11 says, Doth a fountain send forth at the same place sweet water and bitter? James is actually making the point that inconsistency of speech is a sign of a major problem in the heart. And he's challenging the people that they might be self-deceptive. That if their tongues can say these two things out of the same mouth, 
then there may well be a danger. Because look at verse number 3. Or sorry, verse number uh, 2 of, of chapter 3. For in many things we offend. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man, and able also to bridle the whole body. Do not read that and suggest that this is unobtainable. It, we will not be glorified until glory. But the word perfect here does not denote sinless perfection. It's the same word used elsewhere in Paul's writing particularly that denotes maturity. And so what James is saying is the one who can control his tongue is the saved man. The Spirit of God has worked in his heart and therefore by God's grace they have the ability to exercise self-control. You see, by God's grace you are no longer hopelessly given to sin. By God's grace, you can now put a bridle upon your tongue. At times, Romans 7, there is remaining sin, and at times, we will feel. But for the true child of God, ordinarily, there is, by God's grace, control exercise in the realm of speech. So when we fall, we confess, and we get to Christ, and we ask forgiveness. But James, James is entirely entitled to make the point in James chapter 1 that if you don't bridle your tongue, your religion could well be vain. And James 3 does not contradict that statement. In fact, it enhances it. And so because true religion is a work of God's grace in our hearts, whereby we regenerate, then that regeneration is seen even in the realm of our speech and the use of our tongues. But the second sign of this true religion is that we exercise support of the weak. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and, or and widows in their affliction. True religion, of course, is not in word only. Now, the speech has changed but true religion translates into your actions. That, of course, is a major theme in James's uh, letter here, emphasized particularly in James chapter 2. True religion works. Now, it is clear that religion does not equal works. This is a misunderstanding of the word today. If you are charitable, if you are working in society to help social good, People may well say, well, there's a religious person. The order in James is the order everywhere else in the word of God. Works does not lead to true religion, but true religion always leads to works. Because true religion believes the gospel. So James here is highlighting the, he's highlighting the external signs of true religion, but true religion is gospel believing. Look at chapter 2 verse 18. Where James says, I will show thee my faith by my works. So implied and understood in James is the true religious person has saving faith in Christ Jesus. That's the assumption here. But out of that true faith comes true religion exercised. And so in the first point we thought about how true religion comes out of regeneration. Well, here, true religion comes in the context of repentance 
and reliance upon Christ. Turning from sin, trusting in Christ only. And if that comes, comes reform. So that in our religion, we show Christ. James chapter 2 verse 5 highlights the mercy of God in choosing the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom. And so God's grace to the needy is then shown in our true religion as we reflect God in our lives. We have attention to the needy. James used the words to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction. Visit was one of those words I had to, to realign my use of when it came to this part of the world. Almost universally in, in Northern Ireland, we, we would use the word visit as a verb. Here you talk about having a nice visit. Now, we don't use it as a noun. It's, it's always a verb in Northern Ireland. So I had, to, I had to rechange some of my language. Here it's being used in the UK sense. To exercise something, to do something, to visit But the word it has connected to its meaning to look and to see and to inspect. And from that looking and seeing, there is then the exercise of care and compassion. It's used in in Matthew 27 when Christ challenged the goats and the sheep regarding the, the fact that he was in prison and they did not visit. And the idea is not simply one of social engagement. That's again how we use the word visit. It is the idea of practically ministering to the need of those in affliction. It's not enough to look and do nothing. In fact, James chapter 2 highlights that issue. If you see a brother, verse 15 of chapter 2, they're naked and destitute of daily food, and you say to them, depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding ye give them not those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? And there's the idea of vanity. This religion is vain. There is no profit. And so true religion is not uncaring or unmoved regarding the sufferings of this world. Faith that comes from a regenerate heart is a heart that has changed, is a godly heart. You can take the Lord's table here every month for the next 20 years. And by practicing an entirely vain and empty religion. Pure religion and undefiled. Sees, feels and acts for the needs of the needy around them. The third mark is this. And that is there is separation from the world. So there is self-control of our words. There is the support of the weak. And then there is this matter of separation from the world. True religion, again, is exclusive in devotion to God. No man can serve two masters. And James makes the point in chapter 4, verse 4, that if you're a friend of the world, you're an enemy of God. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Now the world... It speaks of the ungodly system. When I was uh, growing up, we were told to flee from the world, and that meant don't smoke, don't drink, don't go to the cinema. And that was how it was interpreted in my, in my youthful life. And of course, those things are all well and good. However, it is far, far, far too narrow. Worldliness can often be seen 
and a desire for power and promotion. That is the spirit of this world. It can be seen in the pleasure of this world. Of course it can. This world is marked by a wanton disregard for the word of God. And therefore we can be friends of the world when we crave its pleasures. That may not happen in practice. Young people, it might happen in your hearts. When you long for the freedom to indulge in the pleasure of the world. Though now you're restricted. But your heart is friends of the world. Though your feet haven't quite yet followed. It can happen, of course, in the pollution of this world in terms of thinking. This world calls good evil and evil good. We see it in the craze of this present moral corrupt age. This moral revolution. And tragically... There are religious bodies and churches that are now saying it's okay to live this alternative lifestyle and still be a child of God. That is friendship with the world. The world is saying this and the church says, well, that's not so bad after all. So we can embrace the world's pollution. We can certainly embrace the world's, and forgive my alliteration here, the world's pennies. Because this world is all about money, isn't it? If only I had some more money. And you tell me if that spirit is not in the church of Christ. And yet here James tells us that religion is about freedom from sin. It is that you can keep yourself unspotted from the world. And live a holy life separated from the wickedness of this present evil age. So we meet here as a religious company. People look out the windows and they see a bunch of religious people. Perhaps they saw you leaving your, 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 your driveway this, this morning and you're off the church and they say, look at those religious people way off the church again. But I wonder if they could see our hearts. One of you see into your homes and hear our words and see our coldness and see our love for the world. Let a man examine himself. That is always our duty before God. That our faith would be real. That it would not be vain. Vain to man, vain to God. But that it would indeed be pure and undefiled. And accepted in God's sight. May God be pleased to use his word in our souls today. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of Let the Bible Speak from Malvern Free Presbyterian Church. We extend an invitation to all to join us as we worship the Lord each week. You will be made very welcome. The church is situated at 80 Mallon Road, Malvern, Pennsylvania. We meet for worship on the Lord's Day at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. A Bible study and prayer meeting is also held on Tuesday evening at 7 p.m. If you'd like more information about the gospel or the church, please call 610-993-3170 or email malvernfpc at yahoo.com. We preach Christ crucified.